Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned how to find the best retail leasing agents for your properties. And in this episode, we are interviewing Hannah Azar. He started investing in real estate since 2012. His first investment was a single family property, and he soon after moved into mixed use properties. And now he manages a family portfolio of approximately 91 units in which he co-owns about 50 of them. Here we go. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. I am very excited to have you here because you have moved from doing small deals to larger deals, and I think it will be super beneficial for our audience. But before we start, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Thanks for having me on. My name is Hannah Azar. I grew up in the Bay Area, a city south of San Francisco called South San Francisco. Son of immigrants. My father was a small business owner. We did cell phone retail stores, which we still do. I started working at a young age with my father. So I always had that kind of business background, retail, sales, and whatnot. And real estate and investing and stock market has always been a big interest of mine. Large credit, obviously, to my father, who taught me about these things at a very young age. And going to holiday parties, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving. My older first cousins would also talk about those things. So that kind of gave me a, a background and I did more research, obviously, along the way in college and high school. And that's kind of my beginning story. That is so awesome to have a family member to educate us in real estate. And for those of us who don't have or haven't had that and rely on podcasts and educations like that, why don't you share maybe what your first deal was like and then how you transitioned into value-add properties? In college, I essentially started digging deeper into real estate. And luckily, I was in college. Luckily for me, at least, I was in college during the recession. I graduated college in 2012, and I decided to buy a single-family home in East Palo Alto, which is in Silicon Valley. When I was basically a senior in college, when I was 2021, and that was my first investment in real estate. I bought it mainly for cash flow purposes when I underwrote the deal, and I thought of appreciation as sort of a bonus. But I quickly realized that appreciation in real estate is really what drives most of the value and most of the investment. And that's sort of when I started shifting gears. I read a book by Manny Cushman, who is also a value-add investor developer, which is called How to Build Your $100 Million Real Estate Portfolio. And it definitely changed my mindset of what real estate is, what you could do with it, and how you should focus your investments and time. Did you get help for that first properties down payment? No, I did not. 
I saved. I was uh, very frugal. I've been working since I was 12, 13, during the summers at least, some weekends at the family business. I was very frugal. I saved. By the time I was 20, 21, I had the down payment money for that first initial investment, which was about 25% down. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving from residential, how did you get that idea and what drove you to move from residential properties into mixed use? Great question. So I did that single family home. I refinanced out once after a year or two. I used the proceeds of that to do a very value-add duplex, which was almost like a ground-up development, except we kept existing walls. That took a couple of years of construction. I then sold my East Palo Alto house and did a 1031 exchange to a eight-unit mixed-use building in San Francisco, which I have my father as a partner on. And I also exchanged the duplex that we actually converted from our church to a duplex in Oakland, also to another mixed-use property in San Francisco. Got the ideas, basically a lot of it from the book, a lot of it just looking at the market, looking at where people were moving in the city, and knowing that the scalability will eventually be the best strategy in the long run. One door versus eight or one door versus five. It's a natural way of scaling, generating more income over time. I really like the idea of getting my hands dirty with construction and negotiations and all of those things. So it was natural for us at that point. What do you look for in a value-add mixed-use property here in Silicon Valley? Primarily focused in San Francisco at this point, but we kind of look all over. In San Francisco, I typically look for old owners who are, for lack of better words, a little lazy. A lot of times there is commercial tenants that do not have leases that are paying significantly below market rents. The properties need to be spruced up and sometimes they need to have significant construction, which we've done about four times now. We've done about three or four seismic retrofits, which consist of reinforcing the entire building. And we're starting one actually next month, which I think is our fourth one technically. And what that does is it creates value naturally. There's capital improvement, past dues. You could pass on some of the residential tenants. The spaces look better eventually for the commercial tenants. So they're able to improve their business, improve the looks of the business and the building. We always do exterior paint job after acquiring a new building. And I've used a man named Dr. Color, who has a color consultant, thousands of buildings in the city. Most famously, the Painted Ladies in San Francisco which uh, most people know. There's these four buildings, I think it's Alamo Square Park, that are always on the postcards for San Francisco. He consulted on those, and he's done, I think, thousands of projects in San Francisco and around the Bay Area. Kind of look at it like kind of an art piece, a building is like an art piece, and we want to add value and make it look good for the neighborhood, the businesses, the tenants. We want everyone to feel good in the process. And given that we come from a retail background, we feel like we have that connection and obligation to improve the building and businesses as much as we can. So you look for properties that you are going to add a nice touch and they're going to look better and you're going to retrofit. Is there anything else that you look for in properties in an already overpriced market? We also did two conversions. We converted residential garages, which were in commercial zones into commercial spaces. So we essentially added units that way. And I know ADU laws are pretty big in California now where you could, it's much easier to add ADUs and garages 
even in the cities like apartment buildings, you can add units to garages, which we have not done. But we have converted at least two spaces from a residential garage to retail spaces. How much does a retrofit typically cost? It depends on the size of the building, but typical two to three story building in San Francisco, I would say it's about $250,000 to $300,000. Can you elaborate how you negotiate when you are looking at purchasing a property on the retrofitting side of it? So a couple of them are mandatory by the city because the city has a soft story list where any building that is on brick foundation that are over three stories or above need to be retrofitted. So at that point, you essentially have to do it. Negotiations on the buy side, that's always kind of a negotiation tactic. We have recently used the listing agents to represent ourselves because they have a, obviously a much better relationship with the seller. And that usually helps with either making the deal happen or sometimes getting some price reductions through discovery. So you typically just put an offer close to list price and then... After you find some things that needs to be done to the building, you renegotiate it? Not always. Only if something actually comes up. We were negotiating on a property that we recently acquired about five months ago that needed the seismic retrofit. And phase one came back and there was a laundromat mm. 80 years ago. So the seller offered us basically a price credit of $100,000 if we closed. So we took that risk. We took the deduction and we proceeded with that. And we beat out two other offers by using the listing agent and giving a compelling story of family, son, business, having other units within the area and being very serious operators. So the property was contaminated or you didn't know if it was contaminated? No, it, it was not contaminated. Okay. It turned out to be not contaminated. So you got a price reduction before finding out if it was contaminated? You weren't really taking that risk? We were taking the risk. We had a couple consultants who said that the risk was a maximum of around $50,000 based on their experience in the area. So we kind of took a calculated risk, if you will, but a risk nonetheless. Given that you are dealing with probably a very difficult city, one of the most difficult cities in the country, what are some tips to deal with entitlements here in California? We have never done ground-up development or like entitlement to get ground-up development done. That's something I hope to do in the near future. We The two conversions that we did from garages to retail were over-the-counter because they're already in commercial zone. So the conversion... For a garage was fairly easy? It took some time. I mean, it took some planning from our architect, construction engineer, but it didn't require any neighborhood notice or approval. It wasn't conditional use. It was permitted use already. So it was kind of more of an over-the-counter, dealing with a city planner, but not dealing with any neighborhood objections or going back and forth or meeting with any supervisors or board. It was permitted use already, so it was much easier to do. And how long did that take? I think the actual plans took between four to six months and the construction took about a year after that. Do you have any particular tips for people that are getting into real estate or that are beginners? What should they be doing and looking at? That's a great question. I think everyone's path in real estate is definitely different. I would say if all else being equal, I would start small, kind of get your hands dirty, assess risks as much as you can before jumping into a deal. Go to meetup. 
listen to podcasts like yours as well. And try digging deep as much as you can before pulling the trigger. I would read as many books as possible, look into ways that you could add value and find a niche. And I think that's sort of what we created in San Francisco's properties that we've been buying, which are particularly, most of them are in the Mission District. So we kind of felt like we have local knowledge. We know the buildings better. We know ways of adding value that work for our business model. So I would say basically just try adding value, locating niches as much as possible, and try to force appreciation as much as you can, which is something I hoped I illustrated. You should never wait to buy real estate and just hope something will go up. And buying it at, at risky prices, I would say look for properties, try to force appreciations through some kind of value-add mechanism, which in commercial real estate is obviously increasing NOI, and look for scalability as much as possible. There's a lot of inefficiencies in real estate, which is the reason why I like real estate so much. There's all kinds of information gaps. There are ways that you could locate a seller before it hits the market. The pricing on real estate is not efficient as well. Like the stock market, a broker might price something high on accident because he's out of the area, or he might price it too low. And it might be during the holiday season like it is now, and not too many buyers show up because they're out in the East Coast or whatever they came from and going back home for the holidays. So there's all kinds of inefficiencies in real estate. And if you dig deeper, you'll definitely be able to find them. Wow, those are really great tips. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you have grown so fast. It has been interesting to see how you took the path of moving pretty fast from residential to mixed use so you can scale. And it seems like this book was pretty helpful in that. Would you agree with it? Yeah, yeah. That book was helpful. It talked about how you should basically add value and how he transitioned as well, actually, from residential to apartments and then finally into office commercial. So I would definitely recommend your listeners give that one a read. I also recommend Confessions by a Real Estate Entrepreneur, which is also very much a value-add, in-the-trenches kind of book where he talks about his various deals as case studies and how he added value in every single deal through whether it was conversion, entitlements, just cosmetic things. And it's also very much commercial real estate centric. So I would definitely recommend those two. I also recommend local meetups a lot. They helped me tremendously, whether it's just through a better increased mindset, more positivity. You meet a a lot of uh, like-minded people in real estate, which you may have not had the opportunity to meet because real estate investors, if they're doing it full-time at least, they're uh, independent and they don't go to a cubicle and meet other people on the field. So it's nice to kind of have that community of meeting other like-minded people. You share tips, you learn, and it's a great way also of adding value to each other's lives. As always, I will put all of these books under show notes. Hannah, how can our listeners get in touch with you? I'd be happy to chat via phone or email. My email is Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-J, as in jewelry. My last name, A-Z-A-R, at gmail.com. Or my number is 415-875-0177. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. I wish you an incredible, continuous growth in your success. Thank you very much for having me. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. And I would like to thank our latest reviewer, Big TSS. 
Great guests and great content. Stephanie does an outstanding job of talking about commercial real estate investing in a clear, easy to understand way. This is a great podcast for learning the nuts and bolts of this business. And she has relationships with many great people who she invites to the show. Thank you so much for your review. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to hear that you are learning from all of our episodes. See you guys next time.